Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Dolecast. Uh, Bud have a, a lot of things to go over, uh, primarily recruiting and some uh, personnel issues, both uh, of the existing roster and some changes or some uh, formal additions made on the coaching staff as well. So uh, we won't devote too much time to it, but uh, the schedule did come out since our last podcast, so we'll give that a, a quick little look over and uh, give people our initial impressions and observations of what uh, of what the 2019 schedule ends up looking like for Florida State. So as always, want to thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce for the leadership they provide uh, whether it just be a, a fantastic product that uh, Bud and I can constantly be fortunate to to speak of and uh, authentically talk about the uh, enjoyment that we get from using it or uh, just other fantastic things that they do to support the podcast. We've got a ton of t-shirts from them previously. Uh, last night I have, I don't know, maybe a thousand koozies delivered for us to, to kind of give away over time. So uh, fantastic product, fantastic sponsor, and want to always thank our friends in New Iberia for uh, being able to let us do what we've wanted to do with this podcast. Absolutely, man. So let's get into it here with, with the help of Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, up first is, uh, is James Blackman. Last week, uh, after we recorded, Brennan Sinone of Knowles 247 put out a report that Blackman – uh, was uh, had filled out paperwork, I believe, to go into the transfer portal. And then on uh, Saturday or Sunday or maybe Monday, uh, he had reported that uh, Blackman had spoken with the staff and things had gone in a positive direction and that he was not uh, going to go into the portal. They have two business days to put your name into the portal per NCAA rule. So technically, if if you count that as Friday and then Monday was a federal holiday, which we'll get to in a little bit, by the way, I guess to today, Tuesday would be that day. But it sounds like he's not going to go in there. Of course, other people said he was never going to go in there. I, I believe Brendan. I, I believe his reporting. I, I know he's a good dude who does good reporting. And, uh, you know, occasionally we've had sources clash. But, uh, but in this case, I, I do believe him. I think he has somebody very close to the Blackman situation. Ultimately, I think that's probably a very good thing for Florida State that Blackman uh, has apparently decided to not go through with entering the portal. Not sitting up in a real positive situation uh, with your quarterback depth, and that would have been uh, just another significant, significant issue. There are those of us, uh, I'm among them, that still has uh, very strong doubts as to whether or not uh, DeAndre Francois is involved with the team in a formal matter in, in uh, 2019. And potential of, of losing Blackman only kind of created a absolute worst case scenario uh, for a situation a position group that has um, had some had some pretty dire situations in the past couple of years. So good that that got straightened out. Uh, I personally absolutely believe the validity and, and accuracy of that report. And nonetheless, it's uh, it's probably better for everybody that identifies themselves as a Florida State fan that you're not having one of your only two quarterbacks, maybe one of your only one quarterback that'll be uh, on the roster in 2019 looking at uh, other options. If, if nothing else, just for the just for the message that sends and the way it kind of uh, shapes up as we you know, move into off-season workouts and start to get ready for spring. Indeed. And look, it's not like I think Blackman is a, a superstar or, or anything like that, but you know what, what would cause him to want to go into the transfer portal? I, I think that if I had to to you know, render a guess, it would be that uh, Francois did not get the credits to graduate and and, uh, and you know be a graduate transfer. 
And so, uh, you know, that probably makes Blackman think that the job is less likely to be his, which would seem to be an accurate calculation if Francois is indeed going to be around in the fall. But I'm not so sure that he is. I'm, I'm like you. Would he transfer out after the spring? I can tell you that multiple members of this staff who are my sources absolutely thought he was going to leave after fall 2018, so the one we just had. And ultimately, he didn't get the credits to do so, it appears, and, uh, and is around at least for spring. It'll be very interesting to me to see how they handle his reps. Do they go ahead and, and give him starters reps? Does Blackman get reps with, with, with the ones more in spring in anticipation of Francois potentially leaving? How does Kendall Bryles view, uh, you know, new offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles, how does he view DeAndre Francois? How does he view Blackman, et cetera? A lot of moving pieces there. Ultimately, though, I think the takeaway here is that it's much better if Blackman is still on the roster, at least for spring, so that you can see what he'll do in Bryles' offense. And uh, and obviously, it helps the depth a lot, if, if nothing more. Uh, very fair. Very fair. Uh, Bud, why don't we move to another piece of news that was uh, perhaps known to an extent, but uh, came with a lot more formality uh, over the process of the week. And that is uh, that Tallahassee's own, uh, a name that will be familiar to many of our listeners that uh, are a little bit older, but uh, Ron Dugans has uh, chosen to uh, take a job that perhaps he had an offer uh, last year, but a better situation uh, for him and his family, it appears, and and Dugans is uh, officially a member of uh, Florida State staff again. He is Ron Dugans, who played for Florida State, obviously, in in the 90s when, when Miami let their entire offensive staff go. I think that's a good hire. Uh, Dugans is, a, is considered a good recruiter and a good coach, another valuable guy to bring to the staff. We had a couple couple kind of tangential questions with this, and you're right, we're not going to spend a ton of time on the Dugans thing because I think for for several weeks we've been saying, hey, who are the two hires that you are, you know, like more than 50% get done? And, and that would be Randy Clements, the Houston offensive line coach, who we still expect to get done. And we've we've profiled kind of what's happening there if you want to listen to some past episodes. And the other was Ron Dugan. So bully for that. What happens with with Coach Dave Kelly, who's the current receivers coach? That we actually don't know yet. Now look, he can stay on as a recruiter for Florida State through the early sign or through through the national signing day because there there's only uh, you know there's still a, a vacancy right now on his coaching staff or not a vacancy, but there's not. There, there's not a surplus right now of coaches on the staff. So there's no immediate need for him to move off the field unless you hire somebody else uh, very quickly here before National Signing Day. I think that's a good thing to keep Dave on the trail because he's an excellent recruiter, really connects with kids very well and with families. He's also your recruiting coordinator. If he was to go to an off-field role, I think he could be very good at that. Obviously, he did that uh, for a time at Oregon but I also think he's a good coach, so we'll have to see what they want to do uh, with with him there. One of the questions that we had with Dugans was you could actually leave DK as a as your receivers coach for the year and ultimately have Dugans be an analyst type uh, for one year and then swap him if you wanted to because Miami was was still paying uh, Dugans, I believe, with their buyout. But, uh, but ultimately, it's like Dugans will be the receivers coach. So DK is going to be moving to something, whether that's another position or more likely, in my opinion, an off-field role, uh, maybe as kind of the GM of recruiting. That's a role that a lot of programs have adopted now. 
first with with Austin Thomas at LSU, uh, who now moved away to uh, to Texas A and M, and also some other programs kind of have a GM working at recruiting. I think that could only help, to be honest, to, to have have the recruiting be even more focused and organized, and and you know, ultimately you need to have a little bit better season than five and seven to work with, man. But that's kind of what we'll uh, we'll see what happens with, with DK. Pretty confident Kelly has a position in one capacity or another. Uh, maybe the the other part of this question was something that we have received from a couple of our listeners. Somewhat surprising, in my opinion, was basically the validity of coaching uh, at the wide receiver position and and how much how much instruction you really get from that uh, position. So I, I don't want to belittle anybody, but that's that's not necessarily a position that you always. Uh, you know, you you don't necessarily try to stash somebody there, in, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I, absolutely. I was a little bit surprised about about uh, the number of listeners we had ask us, do receiver coaches actually coach? Yeah, they do. Receiver is a fairly technical position, which is important that they have good technique and that they uh, are in concert with the offense and the quarterback. Not that other positions are not technical, but you're right. Oftentimes, teams do kind of stash a, an elite recruiter at the running back uh, coaching position because that probably requires the least coaching on a day-to-day basis. It's the position where sort of your, your most natural athleticism and skill set and instincts uh, carry over the most, I would think, uh, from from high school to, uh, to college. So, yes, receivers coaches really do coach uh, a lot. Also, we had a question from uh, listener James, and uh, he says – how are we supposed to embrace Dugans when we had the opportunity to, or when he had the opportunity to work with Willie, but chose to stay at Miami? He's the least noble-blooded Willie Ta- or hire Willie Taggart has ever made, and it's uh, bleeping ridiculous. <laughs> Look, I would just say to that, and I, I mean, let me know if you agree with me here or not. But there are certain reasons why you might or might not take a job, and they're not always related to you know football, 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 alma mater, alma mater, that type of deal. Um, you know, there are family considerations, there are other considerations at the time. And I think that it's my personal belief that Dugans actually did want to be at Florida State last year, but that there were other factors which kept him from coming. And some of those factors, or factors I think, cleared up a little bit when uh, when Miami let go of their entire offensive staff. Yeah, uh, in pretty much complete agreement there, I I will not be putting anyone through the no-blooded filter uh, when it comes to hires at this point. Uh, Florida State needs to get capable coaches. Florida State needs to uh, to have a, a pretty significant injection of, of football knowledge and a, a little bit of a turnaround based off uh, the direction of the program over the past couple of years. Uh, and if uh, if Dugans is, a, is an asset, I'm not really all that concerned if, uh, if it wasn't able to work out immediately. I also think you have to have uh, – I don't – sympathy is not the right word here, but you, you have to – judge last year in perspective as to how quick the opportunity arose and how quick of a decision Dugans had to make. That's that's not necessarily something that in your own professional life, take away the fact that it's Florida State football and you think that you'd immediately jump at any opportunity. If you have something that comes up over 72 hours and you have to make a decision, it's not always that easy and it, it doesn't always mean that you uh, you get to follow your heart immediately either. So. I, I will not be judging Ron Dugans based off the fact that he spent one more year at the uh, coaching staff of Coral Gables. I'll put it that way. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a job, man. It's a job. Next order of business is we had a number of people ask us about grad transfers. Is Florida State still planning to take a grad transfer? Uh, do they 
Do they know who some of these grad transfers might be? And specifically, everybody wants to know about the offensive line. My ideal plan for Florida State after going five and seven this year was to take three high school players and three JUCO slash grad transfers. They already have two high school players signed and one JUCO signed, which means that I think the ideal solution here is to take two more from the junior college slash grad transfer ranks and one more from the high school ranks. If you want to take two more from high school, I can see it. But but the reason why I like this plan, Ingram, is because you, you can still sell a lot of playing time to the elite tackles in the 2020 class coming up that you are in better position for than you were for some of the elite tackles in this year's class. If you go ahead and take like six or seven high school linemen, you're going to have a much tougher time, in my opinion, selling playing time, which is something you're going to have to sell because you're probably not going to be an elite team this year. So playing time is going to have to be important. Granted, they tried to sell that this year and it didn't work on Evan Neal, who chose to go to uh, Alabama, which now doesn't even have a coaching staff. So some names quickly on on grad transfers that I know Florida State has – has looked at. I'm not saying they're going to sign these guys, but these are just if you want to do your own research on this type of stuff. South Alabama's Rowan Godwin, Northern Illinois, uh, Ryan Roberts, he's a tackle. R.J. Proctor out of Virginia is a guard and apparently a pretty good one. Uh, and then Drew Richmond out of Tennessee is a uh, tackle who apparently was not very good at Tennessee this year. So if they do get him, I'm not going to lie to y'all, I, I think he needs a lot of work. But he was at, at one time uh, rated as a five-star recruit, so maybe there's some ability there that Tennessee was not able to get out of him. Certainly, I, I think just getting college-ready bodies in here, guys who have, have played college football, is important because, in, in my opinion, you know, there, there's a decent number of guys on the roster who are, to me, just completely lost causes, not as humans, but as football players. I just don't think you will ever get anything resembling even average or below-average play from a couple of the, of the guys on the roster right now. So uh, that to me is is where they stand with grad transfers. Um, you know, they also offered, uh, I believe they offered, or at least pretty involved with offensive tackle Jimmy Price, who, who's the junior college transfer. We'll talk about him a little bit more in the uh, the upcoming recruiting chat we're going to have. But uh, so four grad transfer options they're looking at. And I've also been told that, look, this is not the only time to look at grad transfers. A lot of players also graduate in May so there's a real chance they could they could add a grad transfer after spring as well when, when guys get their degrees and are able to, to grad transfer out over the summer. Interesting. Interesting that there's a, a second window there. So something we'll keep an eye on. Uh, Richmond, certainly an interesting name as far as high school accolades, but uh, was not, not a fan favorite in uh, Knoxville by any means. So we'll keep uh, keep an eye on all these guys and continue to kind of monitor the uh, potential graduate transfers and both how this uh, impacts Florida State and you know there may be a time where we have a little bit of a broader conversation about the uh, graduate transfers and its uh, potential larger impact on college football but for now stay Florida State focused transfer to our next uh, segment here that we had and that is uh, again we won't go in detail as uh, this has been out for about six days or so but as a podcast that covers predominantly Florida State football uh, we'd probably be doing you guys a service not to uh to mention the uh the freshly minted schedule and give a look at uh, how 2019 sets up indeed so uh number one i think we should say this is a pretty friendly schedule i mean it, as far as not who you play but when you play them the order in which you play them for the most part i i think these are are, are fairly friendly timing wise and it's also a double bye week year which 
that happens uh, once every, I think, five years uh, when Labor Day uh, weekend falls on a uh, – when it falls early, basically. So, so when the college football season – when that first Saturday in, in, in the season is, is August 31st or August 30th, then typically that that's when you have a double bye week year. So this is new as to the last couple of years because we haven't had it since, I think, 2014 maybe. I, I got to think back. So double bye week there. I like that you get the, uh, the the Alabama State and then a bye week before playing Florida because it basically gives you two weeks to prep for Florida and not just prep but also to to get healthy. You know, if, if you if you had a guy who gets banged up in, in the November 9th game against Boston College, the next time you play a game against a Power Five team is November 30th. So he really has 21 days to get healthy for, from from the BC game to the Florida game. So that that could be a big help. I don't really like having a bye before Clemson. I would much rather have a bye after Clemson because I, I think you give this team a month to prepare for Florida, and it would still just get housed on, on the road at Clemson. So a month to prepare for Clemson. Yes, correct. Sorry. Yes, I, you give the team a month to prepare for Clemson, and, and I don't think it matters. So I'd rather have the bye after Clemson if I'm Florida State. But overall, I, I think this sets up friendly to uh, re- return to a bowl comfortably, right? And and, and probably with with some extra. With, with some breather room there. So I thought we should do, uh, we should rank our uh, games on the schedule, considering the timing from not easiest to toughest teams, but easiest to toughest games. And so let's not include uh, Louisiana Monroe and Alabama State, but the other 10, other 10 games, you, you, you want to just alternate and go easiest to toughest here? I'm going to say the easiest, in my opinion, is the... Uh... October nineteenth uh, trip to to Winston Salem. Okay, that's you got Wake there. I I think I agree with you. My next choice would be hosting Louisville uh, September twenty first. Yeah, this is where it uh, it gets a, a little bit tricky. I think um, I think I'm actually going to say that Boise State may be your third easiest game. You may disagree there. Uh, in my opinion, it's it's either that or a, a trip to. A trip to Virginia, uh, but that's those are the two that I was kind of considering in that spot. No, I, I think I, I, that's entirely fair. I, I kind of have a lot of these lumped together. I was actually going to go with NC State in tally on September 28th just because of, of you get to buy afterwards, so you shouldn't have a look ahead. It's your second straight home game, NC State. Uh, they, you know, they do lose Ryan Finley, um, but that's I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. You went with Boise there. All right, Ingram, you are up for your fourth. It seems like I would have done three of the four if that's the case, but uh, you know, let's 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 stay with it. Oh shoot! Well, then I I will I, I will go again. I think I'm going to say Syracuse at home. For the most part, I thought Florida State played better at home this year re- relative to competition level than it did on the road, uh, and, and I, I do think that you know getting some of these games at home will be an advantage. So I'm, I'm going to go with with the Cuse at home on October 26th. That that's coming off off the Wake Forest trip. That should be a win at Wake Forest, so you should come in with a little bit of, uh, of momentum. Also, you do have a little bit of a look-ahead situation here with, with Miami on deck, so that, that'll be that'll be something to monitor. However, you shouldn't be looking ahead that bad because Syracuse whipped your ass this year. So, you know. Pretty, pretty badly. Um, we may have slight disagreement with this, but it, for number five, I would then – NC State would, would fall in there for me. Uh Last game of September before the uh, first bye week that you referenced previously. Gotcha. I am going to go with. I think I'll go Boise as 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 my as my six. But since you are, are, already did that, 
I tell you another one I, th- I think is pretty tough. You know, I I, I think I'm going to take Miami now next. They really faded down the stretch. We'll see what happens with their quarterback position. They've got a new offense to put in. Their defense also lost a couple important pieces, and uh, they uh, did not end up having the best of seasons. Obviously, a, a, another fade down the stretch, and, and Florida State will be, will be looking for revenge, certainly. I will, uh, as I, I mentioned this one earlier, but I don't think we actually put it on. I would I would then circle back to a trip to Charlottesville against uh, Virginia. A little early in the year to be going up there as far as the ability to appreciate fall in Charlottesville. It's one of the, I can promise you, it's one of the more picturesque places uh, in the country during end of September and October. But uh, September 14th, trip to Virginia. Uh, Virginia has found a nice little level of consistency uh, with Bronco Mendenhall and uh, good good team uh, playing at a, a decent level. Uh, early year trip will be a, a, a big deal for them and uh, it'll be a little bit of a challenge for Florida State, in my opinion. Okay, so that, that that's exactly what I was looking at here, either that or the BC game. I I can't decide, man. I, I, I think the UVA game is going to be a tough game. They really... You know, they played South Carolina tough in the bowl. I don't take a whole lot away from bowls other than the fact that South Carolina looked like they were totally unprepared to play that game and, and had not watched a minute of Virginia's blitz packages. But Florida State's going to have to come ready to play in that game. They're, they're not going to waltz up there and, and just, just roll Virginia uh, easily. I, I I don't think that that's a game you're going to have to come. You're going to have to be physically tough. You're going to have to be prepared for a lot of pressure. And uh, that that's going to be an interesting one. Obviously, if you don't take UVA there, you probably need to take the Boston College game. And I think our final two are largely going to be the same at Florida and then at Clemson. So uh, after seeing this schedule, I think they can uh, – I mean, what would you put their win – if you were Vegas and you had, you had to set their win total, what, what, what would you go? Seven, seven, seven and, and a half? half? Okay. I, I, I think that's that's probably fair. I'm not rushing to the window to bet – to bet over seven and a half, uh, I think I would probably play the over on seven flat. Uh, so let's uh, let's get to some. Uh, oh wait, no, we got a little bit of Florida State embarrassing thing. Pretty much been all positive news in the last couple of days, with the exception of uh, this. Florida State put out a meme uh, on Martin Luther King Day. A lot of Florida State people put out memes. Their uh, the head coach Willie Taggart put out a really tasteful one uh, with, with an MLK quote. And uh, Florida State basketball also put out a, a really good one. And unfortunately, Florida State recruiting photoshopped Martin Luther King doing the tomahawk chop with a Nike vapor glove on his hand. Uh, that was up for about an hour. A lot of people thought that was really embarrassing. You know, I'm not somebody that gets offended at a ton of stuff, but I do think that's not real smart to do that. Uh, generally, uh, I think if you're a social media professional, or a graphic artist professional, you should probably not Photoshop religious figures or like civil rights figures into uh, your school's Nike gear and have to do the tomahawk chop. That's just my general rule for Florida State to follow in the future. And to be honest, if you're if you're getting a paycheck for that, you should probably know to do that already. Um, it's another kind of instance here where. You know, I, I I have to see all these graphics for a living, right? Because I, I do the recruiting deal. So I see all the kids post the graphics, the schools send them. And yes, Florida State's graphics have become much more hip as far as like connecting with kids um, than they were under the, the old staff, which was really lacking. Uh, but I do think that Florida State is behind in this area still. 
I mean, granted, a lot of this stuff that we say on the show is they need to spend some money, but at the same time, it's like, damn, man, they're trying to get under budget. You <laughs> know, They're trying to get the budget back in whack uh, after being really out of whack in the last couple of years. But it is notable to me that, uh, you know, and, and obviously the, the, the guy who made this, uh, Montez Levon, he, he came out and, and, and apologized for it and said it was a bad idea and whatnot, uh, that, that, you know, bad execution shouldn't have done it. It is notable to me that there are several Florida State fans on social media, be it Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatnot, who uh, routinely post better quality photoshops and graphics that are perfectly tasteful than Florida State does. I don't think it'd be that hard to uh, to, to post better quality graphics there, to be honest. I, I, I don't think you need that much money to do it. Now, granted, it'd be nice if you had a whole social media team uh, like like a Clemson has or something like that. I don't know that you have the money to do that right now. But at the same time, I don't think it's that hard to get some little bit better graphics in there. And, of course, that's uh, – you don't have to apologize for sending out a Martin Luther King you know, Jr. graphic. Yeah, very, very disappointing move that uh, could have been uh... – very easily avoided. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, gentleman took responsibility for his graphic and uh, hats yes, off to him. It, there. it was but, a legitimate I mean, apology. Just one of those things that in the process, like, huh? So you're editing a very famous picture of Martin Luther King, which I'd stay away from in general uh, to anybody out there. You're then manipulating it in a manner to make it look like he's doing the chop, which is, mm, if, yeah, I'd really leave that one alone. And then we put a big Niper, uh, Nike wide receiver glove on him. Uh, that's a that's a bad move. So uh, and it's a low quality it's, Photoshop. It's horrible. In, in <laughs> it's horrible to that. in general. It looks like something I would try to do in like five minutes. It's it's not good. So um, you know, Florida State hadn't necessarily been its best friend uh, via social media uh, at times, and uh, you know, hopefully it'll be a a low point. And I'm not calling for anybody's job or anything like that. That's legitimately not what I'm saying. But I I hope it's a point to which. Uh, People realize there's a there's a much better way that this can be done, and uh, that we avoid situations like that because you don't for a civil rights icon you need don't necessarily need to put a wide receiver glove on him. So uh, that that'd be my final comment on this situation. And again, most aspects of Florida State did handle this right. It is just pointing that one of them did not. And uh, to all the fans who point out that other programs also uh, use MLK to promote their stuff. Yes, that's true. However, uh, one school did kind of take it over the line a little bit more than everybody else. Uh, like Alabama, I saw put it was like MLK plus Bama logo plus Nike. It was the same same picture that the basketball team used in a very correct, very yeah. classy manner. Then had uh, King almost looking as though he was peering at the Bama logo and Nike swoosh, which is uh, something I'd stay away from as well. Yeah, probably wouldn't wouldn't Nike check MLK. All right. On to some <laughs> good God. That's just the more we talk about it, the more absurd it is. You want to get to some uh, some listener questions here, but first we should probably talk about Madison Social. Took the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely. So um, we we constantly laud Madso for the things that they do and support that they've given us. Been a been a sponsor since the the first time we pressed record here on the Nullcast, and we've been very very fortunate to partner with them. I will be honest with you guys. This is a topic that I have meant to bring up on the past two to three podcasts, and uh, whether it be the fact that we had guests or recording from a different venue, whatever it was, it slipped my mind. So. I will just go on a little bit of a um, soliloquy here and state that I have uh, 
I was fortunate enough to be in Normandy, France during a D-Day anniversary. This was about 15 years ago or so. I'll have to go try to find a picture or something like that of it. But uh, it's just an absolute incredible experience. And uh, the Chiefs, if you're not otherwise familiar, have been invited to take part in the 75th uh, anniversary of D-Day in June of 2019. They have asked for some financial support uh, to make that a reality, and our friends at Madison Social have uh, have stepped up as they frequently do. Uh, option for both out-of-town and local people that wish to contribute to this, but the main option that they have for in-town folks is to get a uh, BLT dip uh, as part of the chief fundraiser. For $25, you get uh, uh, the dip and a t-shirt to go, and I believe uh, $10 of every shirt sold is going directly into a fund to support the Chiefs trip in 2019. There's actually another um, option for out-of-town folks that we'll just put a link uh, on social media, or you could just Google uh, Marching Chiefs Madison Social Fundraiser, but uh, just hats off to our friends at Madison Social. Fantastic supporter of Florida State, the university as a whole, and uh, a great example of them trying to uh, to do right and give kids a, an opportunity that I promise you will uh, we'll be with them for, for as long as they take breath. Excellent cause, excellent ad read. Let's support Matt Social and the Chiefs and get them over there. And uh, let's get to these listener questions. Mark asks, do you still expect the home and home with LSU to get done? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Uh, again, that was a, a, a quote-unquote home-and-home, one to be played at a neutral site in Florida and one to be played in uh, New Orleans. But, yes, I, I, I do think that will get done. Um, my opinion on that has, uh, has not changed, nor has my, uh, my sourcing. Interesting. Interesting with the, the neutral site game uh, for both of those as part of the home. So uh... I, I like that a lot better than, than playing a road game at Boise and playing a neutral site game in, in, in Jackson. I like it more. I would also um, love for our fan base to be exposed to Baton Rouge uh, in general. I, I would think that would be a, a great opportunity and probably uh, probably the best tailgate that exists in college football. But uh, can't have everything. Uh, Kevin asks, I know this is beating a dead horse to some extent, but with a terrible O-line production last year, even though we had no offensive tackles, how confident are you in Greg Fry as a coach? You guys, more than any other resource I respect in the appraisal of player development and player ability, do you think coaching was poor in maximizing what still should have been a decent crop of offensive line recruits, or was Fry dealing with a deck that was stacked against him? Well, I, I think both those could be true in theory. Um, look, we, we definitely saw Willie Taggart like take some practices and just spend like all of his time with the offensive line, which probably doesn't speak a whole lot to uh, maybe his confidence in Fry's ability. But on the other hand, it might just speak to him realizing how desperate of a situation they had over there and just how stacked the deck was against Fry. I mean, they, that is the position they knew they were probably in trouble if the backups had to play in, in, in the preseason. They should have said this more publicly, by the way. Like, that is a continued criticism I have of this staff that they did not adequately or really at all prepare the fan base for the possibility that, hey, if we get hurt up front a little bit, this season could go in the tank, which it did, largely because of that. But I'm sure there are some guys that Fry did not coach as well as, as, as we would have liked, and I'm sure there are some guys that he probably did get the most out of their ability uh, relative to their experience and, and, and physical ability. It'll be interesting to see what happens when, when they bring Clements on, assuming that still gets done, which I believe it will. 
I mean, this is an important year for Greg, certainly. They, they, they need to show some considerable improvement on the offensive line. If they get a bunch of new bodies in here and they don't look any better, uh, then there's basically no way, in my opinion, that, that Fry would keep his job for the 2020 season. Even if it wasn't his fault again, I think that he would still lose his job if, if, they, if they're, again, really, really bad up front simply because of optics, right? Like you, you can't go and have the same, same O-line coach for three straight years if the first two are that bad. So this is a very important year for him in Tallahassee. In agreement with you there, the next uh, questionnaire asks, a question relates to Clemson and Dexter Lawrence. Obviously, when you guys have previously referred to schools being fully committed, such as Georgia, you're referring to a different kind of commitment. But I was wondering, given that three players from Clemson were banned from competing in the two playoff games, if you think this is an example, a different way a school might be committed to its program. With all of the coverage surrounding the last two weeks of football, this seemed to disappear pretty quickly, especially given that one of the national champions best players was suspended for their uh, two most important games of the season. It seems pretty suspicious that three players were all found guilty, yet Dabo was able to get away with a quick pivot and poof. It was gone. Okay, so, you know, if you had to distill this, how prevalent is PED usage in college football? Is this case an outlier? Would I be naive to think it's any different than that 90s baseball? Yeah, I think it's interesting because two of the three Clemson guys were walk-ons, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Look, if I was running a steroid program at, at a college football pr- program, I would not give roids <laughs> to my walk-ons. You said you'd be you'd be allocating your resources a little bit differently. For this reason. I get it. I know the NCAA is going to drug test the walk-ons, too. The walk-ons don't actually play in the game. There's no reason for me to give PEDs to my walk-ons. Like, it's certainly not worth having a little bit better walk-ons in practice, you know, considering the cost-benefit analysis there, and, and the, the, the cost would be, them getting popped for PEDs in, in a drug test and bringing negative publicity to my program and perhaps greater scrutiny. So I'm going to guess that Clemson did not give those guys whatever they took. And we, we've seen different guys get, get get popped for PEDs before. Now with Lawrence, I, I don't know where he got that stuff. We actually don't know uh, what he tested positive for. To the greater question, does stuff like this get given out to kids not usually by the schools. They they, they, they want to have plausible deniability. Uh, I think there certainly is uh, a little bit better strength programs going on, potentially better nutritional stuff at some of these schools than there are at, at other schools. There may also be a little bit friendlier relationships with, you know, dudes like, like, uh, like a Balco type connection where you have some personalized elements of your PEDs for certain players, I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense, especially if the player has some money uh, to, to be able to do that. You know, if you, if you recall, they were basically giving like very much personalized cocktails for uh, for Barry Bonds and, and and that you know that when when he was hitting seventy home runs with like a size twelve hat. You know, that was of course not not size twelve as a joke, but I don't think programs are just handing out steroids in in, in like crazy. I, I just I don't. Some of these guys are certainly on some some cocktails, but I don't think your strength coach is just the guy passing these things out. I do know that these guys have like vitamin packs and stuff that, that the staff gives them, protein the staff gives them. But the NCAA has all these crazy rules like your protein powder, and at least I, I think it's still current, this rule, but like it had to have a certain percentage of fat and a certain percentage of protein, and you weren't allowed to have too much protein in their protein powder at the college level. And I know some guys, once they got to the NFL, were just 
laughing their, their butts off at, at how, how stupid the chemistry on some of this stuff was dietary wise that like, why, why can't we take something that has a lot more protein in college? Once we get to the league, we totally can and, and it's much better. So I don't know why the NCAA does that. If you're a strength coach out there, maybe you can fill us in. But uh, but that was yeah, that, that's always interesting to me. Something uh, you know, something that goes on to an extent at every program. I, I don't think there's any institutionalized uh, process like you mentioned, Bud. Uh, certainly nobody is you know mimicking the uh, the Nebraska model, the early to mid '90s uh, that they had out there magically turning a bunch of offensive uh, offensive linemen walk-ons into some of the better offensive lines in the country you know everybody is is competing at a at a exceptionally high level and competing for you know to make yourself small little percentages better and doesn't shock me uh that some guys turn to performance enhancers and occasionally you might have some I don't want to say full institutional support but there there could be one or two people there that could uh point you in the right direction. We had some feedback regarding the conversation that we had uh, last week regarding the Jacksonville Bulls, and a reader wrote that the colors were garnet, black, and orange for the three most popular teams in the area. Which would be, of course, Florida State, Georgia, and Florida in Jacksonville. So very cool. I was wondering where the black was coming from, but yeah, yeah, Georgia, Georgia certainly makes sense there. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of uh, listener feedback there, uh, showing that we do capture uh, many demographics, both the, uh, the 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 younger demographic and also a couple uh, couple of demographics who are either going gray or already there, like like I am, and uh, really cool to to hear about about all the all the former players that played for that team back in the old uh, USFL. So. Hey, Ingram, I think we need to talk right now about Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans has been a proud sponsor of the Nolcast now for over a year going into our second season. Just a, a great partner for us, right? We, you know, we, we, we chatted with them originally, and, and we, we liked what they had to say. Great reviews on, on, on Google and, and on Facebook. Seems like a great company. Then we started having all these listeners go with Resolution Home Loans to get their home loan. I think we're up to 14 or 15 now it, it, it is. And, and when you uh, when you do your home loan, you also get a T-shirt with us, which is obviously a very small part of your home loan, but pretty cool uh, if, if you want that uh, that extra benefit. And more importantly, the feedback we've got with these guys has just been great. I mean, Shannon and Chad are, are Noel through and through. It's a Noel-owned business. When you call Resolution 844-FSU-LOAN, that's 844 844- FSU loan, or when you visit fsuhomeloans.com, it's fsuhomeloans.com. You're gonna get you're gonna get set up with Shannon. He's gonna walk you through your entire loan process. I'm actually in the middle of this right now. It that guy is on the ball, just every single step of the way, helping you out whatever whatever you need, discussing you know, possible possible ideas with you. Do you, you want to do this? Do you want to do that? You want to put this much down, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to be able to get a better rate. Shannon will take care of you. Chad and Shannon are great guys to deal with. 844-FSU-LOAN, FSUHomeLoans.com. Check them out, and uh, we thank you for sponsoring the Oldcast. Oh, recruiting talk. Let's have, I'll, I'll just do a quick rundown of recruiting things that have happened since the last time we really talked recruiting heavily, which was about 10 days ago. And then we have a couple listener uh, recruiting questions, and then um, uh, we also have probably the end of the show, because that'll be about an hour. So... Since the last time we talked, uh, Travis J shut things down, and that's a good sign. Uh, I'm of the opinion that Travis J probably has the highest ceiling of anybody in this recruiting class for Florida State. Doesn't necessarily mean he's their best prospect, but I, I could certainly argue it that way. Excellent senior film, played both ways, led his team to a state title. 
a, a freakish athlete with a lot of upside that has yet to even be realized. Florida State did go ahead and offer offensive tackle Darius Washington, who's out of uh, Pensacola, uh, West Florida Tech, same school that uh, Keyshawn Helton went to. I'm okay with the offer, I I, I think. I don't know that he's a, tr- a, tr- a true tackle. Uh, I, I guess we'll have to see. But apparently they like him enough to go ahead and extend the offer to him. Florida State slash A&M slash LSU battle for uh, Colquitt County cornerback uh, Jay Ward. Interesting there. Um, Florida State is also a, uh, in a battle for uh, Kamar Bell, uh, offensive guard from there who will be visiting this coming weekend. We will do another show this week, by the way, just on the recruiting weekends that are coming up, both junior day and the, the big uh, January 25th official visit day. But that Kamar Bell is down to sort of an Auburn FSU battle, I believe, and, uh, and I, he really likes both schools. I think Auburn has the lead at this point in time, but of course, Florida State has that official visit. Uh, we, we've kept you all pretty up to date, I think, on what Nick Cross is doing, the safety out of uh, DeMatha there in Maryland. Um, I do not believe Maryland's a major threat at this point in time. However, it's pretty well known that Cross's dad uh, would like him to go to Penn State or a better academic school than Florida State. So he is apparently going to take an official visit to Penn State on the final weekend. We will see if Florida State can hold on to him. He's certainly still recruiting for Florida State on Twitter. I believe that he does want to go to Florida State. They have certainly had times where parents wanted the kid to go to FSU and the kid really didn't, and that worked out for FSU at times, and they've also had the reverse. And then they've also had the double reverse where sometimes it doesn't work out for Florida State. So we'll just have to monitor that. Georgia's still pressing to get a visit from him on the final weekend, but uh, I, if I had to guess, I think he would visit Penn State over Georgia just from talking to him at the Army Bowl and, and, and asking around a little bit from people who know him well. That's kind of the Nick Cross update. Lance Legendre is coming on the 25th. That's the quarterback out of New Orleans. People were very kind of questionable about him over the summer because he had a a shoulder injury he was coming off. And also they had real questions about his ability to get qualified. But since then, other teams have have increased their pursuit of him, including Florida State and Miami. He had a good senior season, so the shoulder looks healthier and uh, apparently has made some progress in the classroom. Uh, I... You know, I asked somebody who would know, hey, is Legendre a kid who you all can't get into school? And they're like, no, we, we, we think that there's a good shot he can get into school. Like, it's not going to be a guarantee. He's going to have to finish out strong, but he, he's not an impossibility. And uh, so that, that's that's encouraging. And they, they got Xavier Peters in last year. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. John Reese Plumley is, uh, is reportedly coming in on the second. I've not confirmed that with him personally. We'll have to see if he sticks with that, but he is the uh, Georgia commit who they tried to blue shirt, and he kind of balked at that. He's still committed, but uh, we'll see if he actually wants to blue shirt, which I'm kind of doubting. Uh, Mississippi State is on him. Ole Miss is on him. Uh, Miami was on him. I think he canceled his potential visit to Miami. Those are kind of your two quarterbacks you're focusing on down the stretch. FSU did offer Eugene Asante of Virginia. He's a linebacker. Uh, I like him a whole lot. And uh, Florida State backed off uh, Lakia Henry, who's a junior college linebacker. I have an, a source at Arkansas who told me that uh, that Henry told him that Florida State told him that they were they were full as far as junior college linebackers and they're focusing on high school kids. So to me, uh, that would mean uh, Eugene Asante and also Shimon Cooper, 
the linebacker who committed to Illinois at the Under Armour game uh, and who is also going to visit Florida State on the 25th. So we'll see if Florida State can get the swip or the uh, the flip there. Uh, his teammate Ira Henry as well is coming for a visit, and uh, Florida State feels like they're in a, a, a strong position for him. He's another guy that they're they're bringing in on the 25th. Seems to be setting up as their uh, weekend extravaganza uh, or their their kind of main recruiting weekend. Exactly. So, to re- listener questions here, Ingram, uh, how many spots are left in the uh, in the class, and and where are they? Yeah, good question. Certainly have uh, have one at running back, have one at quarterback, undoubtedly. Offensive line, I'll let you talk about, although I, I think we're in agreement, but you do a better job of breaking that down between high school kids and, uh, and perhaps uh, graduate transfers. I still think they'd take a defensive lineman. Like a Charles Moore. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think they're looking for a, a high school linebacker like we just referenced, and... Uh, Absent defections, I think we're probably done in the secondary. Right. So if, if Jay Ward wants to come, I think they may find, you know, like they may be able to find a spot for him. But, and, and look, this is recruiting, right? You have to keep recruiting because you don't know if you'll be able to keep all your all your current guys. They have done a tremendous job of playing defense for the most part and keeping most of their important guys down the stretch. Sam Howell, uh, a, a notable exception there, along with Charles Cross, two out-of-state kids. But most of their in-state kids have done a great job of keeping um, and, and you know, getting guys to shut it down. Uh, but, yeah, I, with the offensive line, I think they would still take two high school linemen if, they, if for instance, if both Henry – or if, if, two, if two of the three, if Henry, Bell, and Washington all wanted in, I think they would take those two in addition to taking one to uh, JUCO or grad transfers on top of what they have now. It is important to reload this position. If all three high school linemen wanted to come, I don't know how they would handle that. I personally would probably not take five, but but maybe they want to. I'm not totally clear on that. Next question here. Should FSU offer Peyton uh, Matoka? He's a, a quarterback out of the uh, the Texas area. Miami offered him. We got a couple questions about this kid. Some people have sent me some links and, and basically said, like, hey, a lot of people on message boards like this guy. I'm not saying he's a bad player or anything, but literally I was at an event this weekend and uh, was talking to some guys who uh, cover Miami, and they were talking about how Miami just offered him and how he's way underrated and should receive a star bump and all this other stuff, and uh, how, look, uh, you know, Jimbo knows quarterbacks, and, and he's bringing him in for a visit uh, at, at A&M and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, literally, here's what happened. A guy from A&M, one of A&M's top recruiters, texted that, no, he's a walk-on for us. So good example here potentially of, number one, this is a terrible quarterback class nationally. It's just not good. Number two, if you don't sign in the early signing period, your recruiting profile is likely to get hyped up like crazy because – Everybody who's not signed gets additional attention. So my opinion here is that if if Florida State liked Peyton Matoka, I mean, granted, considering where he plays and where Kendall Browse came from, they would probably have already offered him. I mean, like there, there's nobody in position to know better than Kendall Browse, I would think, given the proximity of Houston to his high school uh, and to understand what, whether he would fit that offense. And if, if they liked him, I absolutely think that uh, they would have already offered him. So I'm going to say no. I'll, I'll go ahead and trust Browell's evaluation 
of the quarterbacks there in Texas. The kid who I think could be a fallback option potentially is the guy that Houston let out of his letter of intent, who, who had signed with Browns in the early period. We'll have to monitor that. I'm not really sure what, what's happening with him now, but I know they did let him out. Montrell, Ron Trell, we just call him Trell. And Trell writes in, will this class finish in the top 10? That is a tremendous reference. If you all don't know that, Google that. That's the old, um, that was the Greg Reed scooter incident, right? That's the Greg Reed scooter incident. God, I love you, Greg Reed. Oh, and I miss man. you. Miss you returning kicks so badly. Uh, but that was one of his, one of his best. <laughs> I would love it if we can get Greg Reed back in school just to return punts. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we'll let the shoe finish in the top 10 of this class. Uh, in my opinion, no. I, I don't think that they have enough uh, elite level targets left on the board. They need to hit some of their needs to make sure they have adequate depth here. Uh, and they need to make sure they don't reach on too many kids. Kind of like I said, would you take three more high school offensive linemen? In my opinion, I don't know that they would or should. You know, should you take two more linebackers? Maybe if Cooper and Asante both wanted to come, I, I would because they're, they're elite level kids. I don't know that you need to take a running back. Maybe with Saquandre White leaving uh, and Amir Rasul in the transfer portal, maybe that would make sense because Saquandre would be your emergency back even though he played linebacker because he does have running back experience. But uh, no, I, I don't think this class is going to uh, gonna come in the top 10. Appreciate the listen, Trell, and we'll look forward to your next question. Caleb writes, what is the possibility of landing either Plumlee or Legrandre to add depth and create a position battle at quarterback? I would say that the, uh, the chance is fairly good, actually. I, I think Florida State is probably in the best position for Legendre, and we will see where they are with with Plumlee. I'm not really sure how high he is on Florida State. Mississippi State seems to be in in a good position there, too. He he is a Mississippi kid, so we'll have to see. But uh, I I think the chance that they land at least one of those is is good. Where does Florida State stand with the 2020 quarterback recruits, writes Ty? Who, in your opinion, are the primary targets? Okay, so there's a lot of kids that that they like in this class. Uh, 2020 is a better quarterback class, I I think, undoubtedly, than 2019 was. Um, They they have a lot of kids who, I think, fit their system better as far as athletic kids who can also throw the ball. They they just offered Greg Spann out of uh, of St. Petersburg. They like him. I don't know that he's their top target necessarily, but I I know they like him. There's a kid named CJ at Grayson who was the backup last year, but he looked really good at the Army Combine. I know Florida State has interest in him. There's a couple kids in Texas who they like. Uh, there's actually like three kids in like the Jacksonville, like St. Augustine type area who, who are pretty good this year, including Alabama commit Carson Beck. There's a kid down in Miami they like whose name is escaping me right now. Sorry, I was I was just down there this weekend for the uh, Express and, and Fire tryouts. There's a number of kids whom they like, uh, and, and I, I think you'll, you'll see them continue to, to send out offers and, and hopefully be able to figure out which one they really want to go in on. So 2020 should be a better year quarterback recruiting for Florida State than, uh, than, than 2019 was. And with that, I think we should encourage you all to give us five stars on iTunes, and uh, this will be a, a two-episode week for sure. So uh, be looking for that. Make sure you share this on uh, Twitter and Facebook if you enjoy the show. That helps our popularity and the five-star reviews on iTunes or Google or uh, Apple Podcasts really does help us out.